Welcome back to Alpha Academy, a cryptopedia for Web3 builders, where we provide company building guides with notable builders and their, share their key insights to their success that will help you kickstart your Web3 project. So in today's episode, we have a very special guest that is Sunny Agarwal, co-founder of Osmosis Labs with us, who will be sharing his success stories through Osmosis product journey. Hi, Sunny. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for kindly joining us today as well. So um, to start off, perhaps you can give our listeners an introduction to yourself and your background. Yeah, sure. So my name's Sunny. I've been working in crypto basically since, you know, late 2015. Well, not not working in crypto. I got into crypto late 2015 and I got really interested in Bitcoin. And there was I was at a student at UC Berkeley and there was this club there called Bitcoin Association. And I kind of joined that and just learned about Bitcoin a bit. But for me, I didn't like fully understand it until I started teaching. So what for me, like if I ever want to learn anything, the best way to do that is to like sign up to teach it. So that kind of forces you to learn it. And so I, I started teaching this class called the cryptocurrency course at, at, at Berkeley. And Berkeley has this cool thing where students can teach courses if they, you know, get the backing of a professor. And so, yeah, we started teaching this course and got like 80 students in the first semester. And then from that, we kind of started this new club called Blockchain at Berkeley, got really, just learned a lot more about all sorts of blockchain stuff, did a lot of like R&D education work. Yeah. And then summer after sophomore year, I was, I was, try, I was, try, I learned, I was trying to learn more about this whole Ethereum thing and started interning at a, at Consensus for a bit. And then, I don't know, I didn't. It didn't really click for me, and but then I got really interested in proof of stake. And well, today I guess the, finally Ethereum is moving to proof of stake. Finally, but like at the time I was like, oh man, you know, I want to like work on this proof of stake thing, and Ethereum is moving too slow on this. So started re- reaching out to this like Tendermint team, and they and then they explained to me this whole idea of Cosmos. And I actually, when I reached out to the Tendermint team, I didn't re- realize that like, oh, it's the same team working on this Tendermint proof of stake system, as well as this like Cosmos app chain vision. But when they explained this Cosmos app chain vision to me, I'm like, oh, this is so obvious. This, this like fixes all the stuff I was hung up with on Ethereum. This like fixes those problems. And so that kind of, I, I started working with them. And then I, I had so much fun working with them that I, in the fall, I dropped out to work with them full time. And so I've been I've been basically working on Cosmos in some capacity for the last five years. Yeah. Nice. Interesting journey. Thank you for the introduction. So perhaps you can share what is Cosmos and why was the project built? And like uh, what Osmosis is trying to solve? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is Cosmos? Cosmos mm-hmm. is an idea. It's a it's a design philosophy. Let's put it that way that the way that blockchains are going to play out is not having these generalized monolithic chains like your today i mean the whole multi-chain vision is obvious today but like you you rewind five years ago this is a very radical take where like everyone was like oh everything's just going to be built on ethereum and (laughs) for us we saw like no that's not going to scale and one like technically not going to scale technically with like but it's also just not going to scale socially. And we are in the Cosmos ecosystem, we're very localists, where we believe in like small sovereign communities that are all like 
coordinating with each other in like mutual ways, but like still have sovereignty. And so for us, we, and you know, this is kind of how the world played out, right? Where it's like in the 21st century or over the course of the 20th century, we basically had this long process where empires fell apart and we moved to this world of like sovereign nation states that are all still have like deep economic ties with each other, but they all have like political sovereignty. And we just saw the same thing. We're like, oh, this is going to happen with blockchains as well, where like no one's going to want to be part of this Ethereum empire. Like everyone's going to want to have their own sovereign blockchains. All communities are going to want to have their own sovereign blockchain, but they're all going to want to communicate and still be interoperable with each other and have like economic relationships with each other. And so that was like our vision. We're like, okay, this is like, we need a world of many, many, many blockchains that are all communicating with each other. So what were the things that we needed in order to make this happen? You know, we basically saw there was like three big tools that we needed to make this work, which was the Tendermint consensus protocol, because we needed a proof. You can't have thousands of proof of work blockchains. It just doesn't work because they hash power is fungible across them and it doesn't, the security doesn't work. So Really, what you want is one proof-of-work blockchain, and then everything else should be proof-of-stake, and then checkpointing into that one proof-of-work blockchain. So, But to make that work, we had to basically, I don't know, invent proof-of-stake. And so we, Cosmos was one of the first projects that actually had a working proof-of-stake system. But then second, we it's the Cosmos SDK, which is a framework to make it easy to build your own blockchains. Because no one wants to write a blockchain from scratch. It's a lot of work. And so the Cosmos SDK makes it much, much easier. It, it it's like does a lot of the heavy lifting, and then you can write your business logic in it. And then the third thing was IBC, which is it stands for Inter Blockchain Communication, and that's basically this generalized secure bridge protocol that allows all of these blockchains to talk to each other. But unlike your other bridges, like you must have heard of, like there's no additional trust assumptions. That's actually using what we call light client protocols that allow blockchains to understand each other. So there's no additional trust assumptions. The trust assumption of IBC is equivalent to the blockchains themselves. So yeah, so we kind of had these three tools. And basically, I was working at the Cosmos core development team for three years, and we were building out these tools. And, and then at some point, basically, these tools were ready. And I was like, okay, well, now the tools are ready. Now it's time to actually start building something with that. And so that's kind of how Osmosis came about. We're like, okay, well, what is the, what should we start building? I guess one of the most obvious things to build, first thing to build is in an ecosystem is a DEX. And so there's a lot of demand for a DEX, I think, in, in, in Cosmos, but it wasn't really being served. One, one thing people might maybe don't realize is like, so, so, so like kind of like what, why did Osmosis like take off so big when it launched was like, if you look at like on CoinGecko or something, you look at like the top 200 assets by market cap, you'll actually see that like Cosmos has the most other than Ethereum, right? But like it has more than any other non-Ethereum ecosystem. But it was actually very hard for these assets to get listed on centralized exchanges because every time the centralized exchange would have to run a new run new nodes and all this kind of stuff. So there was all this like high value assets that weren't actually getting liquidity. And so Osmosis by, by using IBC and having this generalized like bridge system that, and like it basically enabled like a lot, a lot like the Cosmos ecosystem, like 
the Cosmos, all the tooling for Cosmos was like ready, but then and there was people building on it, but then it kind of was like the big bang moment that really helped kick off the Cosmos ecosystem. Nice, awesome. So just to sum that and sum that up in short, basically mm-hmm. Osmosis is like an AMM protocol for interchain assets where developers can build their uh, customized AMMs with sovereign mm-hmm. liquidity pools and basically launch their own pools with unique parameters according to their wishes. And basically, they're built using the Cosmos SDK and utilizes this IBC, also known mm-hmm. as the interchain inter-blockchain communication that basically enables communication between the blockchains and mm-hmm. therefore like allows cross-chain transactions. Yep. All right. I think one thing Ooh. maybe like worth like stressing that sometimes it, it, it's a very different model than what people are used to is that Osmosis isn't a DEX built on an existing chain, right? Like there's some often like confusion between Cosmos and Cosmos Hub, but it's like Osmosis isn't built on the Cosmos Hub blockchain. It doesn't it's not built on Atom or anything like that. It's like Osmosis is its own, blo- it's a DEX as a blockchain. And so it's like almost like a fully vertically integrated stack. And so that's kind of what also gives us a lot of the ability to do a lot of cool things that we can do that a DEX that's built on an existing, someone else's platform, you know, Uniswap is built on Ethereum, Serum's on Solana. They're all constrained by the limitations of their platform that they're built on but with osmosis we have this like full stack system and that gives us a lot of cool functionalities right so like you have all the flexibilities to grow further okay cool so now next question for me that i have i want to talk more about the product journey that like resulted in the osmosis we know today Mm -hmm. and so basically what would you say is the mvp for osmosis yeah maybe so the MVP for Osmosis was, I mean, you know, it, it, what we launched with, it was, we, we launched with a very much of an MVP. And I would say to actually what we are in today is still very MVP, MVP-ish. We're, so part of our, we, so we have like AMMs right now. As a DEX, so our, our, our whole hypothesis around AMMs were these are really good for bootstrapping ecosystems. And that's kind of why we needed these AMMs for, and, and we've actually done a really good job at bootstrapping the ecosystem. But now, as the ecosystem matures, we need to have better liquidity systems, right? More concentrate, like more efficient use of liquidity, right? And so, you know, whether that looks like order books or it looks like more like concentrated liquidity, I think it actually looks something like a mixture of the two. But that's sort of really what we're moving to. But the MVP for Osmosis was very much having these like just very basic AMMs and that like all these other teams and projects and communities within the Cosmos ecosystem can like start to use to get like liquidity into the, get liquidity for their assets. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. So basically I'm wondering like what were the steps you took to get to that present MVP design that you just mentioned? Mm -hmm. Like any, what were the challenges that you faced along the way? Yeah. So part of, so we, I guess we had a little bit of a benefit, which was we, we knew the Cosmos stack very well, obviously, because we had helped build it. And so that gave us a little bit of a advantage on being able to move very fast. So basically, the time it actually took us to go from like wanting to build Osmosis to launching Osmosis was like less than six months. And that was actually like very, 
And even that, like, I think it could have actually been shorter, like maybe the first half, we weren't like fully committed on it. And so in one way, that's really cool, because that means that the stack actually works really well, where it actually gives you that ability to like launch very quickly. And so, yeah, so we, we started basically working on osmosis in like January or February of 2021. And we were sort of working on it there, I guess, Part of part, another thing, one thing is, is like making sure like the scope is very like limited for launch. So like often, like oftentimes we kept letting our scope like scope creep, right? We kept wanting to more and more features. And then we like, we had a very tight deadline of when we wanted to launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, we had like a competitor Dex that was also launching at the around the same time period. And we were like very much like, oh, we want to be first. I think there's like huge value in being first. And so, okay, we were like, okay, we have a rough idea. We know when they're launching. We have to be at least two weeks before them. And so because of this scope creep, it kept like, what we ended up doing was we kept having to like cut off features and like took longer than it was supposed to, to like build. And so I think that, that that's like one big thing. Another thing that is like another, one thing that actually helps handle scope creep that we've learned is that starting things from the user like perspective, because oftentimes, so our team, it kind of is split into like what we call like the chain dev team. And then we have a front end team that builds all the UI and front end that most people use to interact with Osmosis. There are other UIs and front ends as well, but I think majority of users still use the the one that, that we we maintain. And so oftentimes what will happen is we'll like build all this like complex functionality in the chain dev but then we like our front end team like they like they think a lot about the user flows and like what makes what's easy for users and things like that and it turns out they only needed to use like 50% of the functionality that we built on the chain side and it's like oh okay maybe we if if instead of like starting from like chain features and then figuring out how to put them in the front end what we've learned to do is like hey we start from like what is the user flows that we want and then that should inform the, the the features from the chain side. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you that like it's important to be like the first as well. You get lots of advantage for that. And since like in this space, it's everything is so fast, so it's important to like just get it mm-hmm. going. Yeah, so that's amazing. I'm sure to get to where you are now, must have like gone through lots of testing of what works and what doesn't. So like continuing from the last question, I. W- how did you like structure iteration to make sure that like what you're doing meets the product market fit? Yeah, so we spend a lot of time talking to users when whenever we're working on a new feature, we kind of have these like design sprints of where we we'll do like user interviews. So like for example, the big feature we're working on right now is our order books and so we are spending a lot of time like talking to users and like asking them, "Hey, okay, which centralized ex- which order books do you like, whether it's on centralized exchanges or on other DeFi protocols? What are the issues you have with like order books? Like what doesn't make sense for you? And then also like we spend a lot of time like analyzing all like we spe- we kind of analyze all the other order books we can find, right? We go on all we we try to be users of all the DeFi protocols and understand like, okay, these are things that we like, these are things that we don't like. And then also another big thing is like understanding who your user is, right? So you you have to be able to like say like, okay, who for a DEX, for example, right? There's like very different types of traders that exist. And like 
who, which type of trader are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for your retail user or are you optimizing for a pro trader? And the UI and experience that you'll get for both of those are very different. And you, it, you, what, what, will make, what makes sense is like it, you might want to build separate interfaces all together for these different types of users. So if you look at like Coinbase, right? Like they have Coinbase.com, which is like very much tailored for your, like your brand new crypto user, your first entry point into crypto. And then you have Coinbase Pro, which is really targeted more at your like pro traders and stuff. And so figure out which product you're building, choose one first, build that, and then build the other one. And then whichever one you're building first, make sure you're not adding too many bells and whistles that like isn't actually serving the the user that you're trying to build for right now. Cool. That's really good advice. And so I have another question. And since like Osmosis is like the first mover that basically enables IBC that I mentioned mm-hmm. before. So like in the future, if there are more decks that emerge with like enabled IBC on Cosmos, what do you think will keep up this Osmosis as a leading DEX on Cosmos? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things. So one, I mean, we are able to move like pretty fast and like keep up with like a lot of things. Like we we're adding order books and constant liquidity, but we're also working on a lot of other cool functionality as well. And I think like part, I think users are like relatively sticky, which is like why, like I said, it's important to be kind of first on things. And part of our whole thesis as well is like really focusing a lot on like the UI and like user ux brand we, we spend a lot of time so we have like all these characters and everything you know like on my shirt and it's like i think once users find something that works for them they will stick around and unless there's a, something that's like 10x better then like i don't think that they switch and so the key is like also we if there are things that are 10x better we're we're, we're like we should be the ones building those right and so yeah, so I think I think it's a I think it's a combination of many things, just speeding, keeping ahead of the competition as well, but also, yeah, making sure you, you building things that like help users like maintain this sense of like brand lo- loyalty. And traditional companies have figured it out for have been doing it for ever, right? And like, it's not hard mm-hmm. to like bring a lot of those ideas to crypto products as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So community is like really important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe can you share also a bit about your integration with Cosm Wasm? And for those people who don't know what Cosm Wasm is, it's basically a smart contracting platform that built mm-hmm. on Cosmos ecosystems where the players can use it to build a contract. So yeah. Could you share yeah. more a bit about that? Yeah. So Cosm Wasm is a smart contracting system for the Cosmos SDK. A lot of Cosmos chains have them, but not not most. Most of them don't. We added Cosmosm. So, okay, I'll say that the Cosmosm Osmosis is a little bit different than most smart contracting systems, and even Cosmosm on other Cosmos chains, where the Cosmosm on Osmosis is governance gated. So, instead of being this like permissionless smart contracting system that anyone can deploy whatever they want to. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to build a generalized smart contracting platform. We're trying to build a DEX. So if you on Osmosis, when you want to deploy a contract, you actually have to make a governance proposal and it gets approved by governance. And the reason we added this Cosmosm system was that we wanted external teams to start being able to contribute things to the Osmosis product. The 
Osmosis as a chain. So if you look at your centralized exchanges, they offer like this like suite of products that are all packaged into one like cohesive whole, right? You have you, yes, they have their spot trading, but they also have margin and perps and fiat on ramps and uh, like initial IOs and all this sort of launch pads, all this kind of stuff, right? And so it's like the Osmosis chain needs to offer all of this functionality too. And but I, I don't think our dev team is going to be the one to build every single component of this. There's are other teams out there who want to contribute to this Osmosis sort of suite. And so this uh, Cosmosm as a smart contracting system allows these other develop other teams to also contribute things like there's a team building a launch pad on Osmosis. There's the Mars protocol building a a lending leverage system for osmosis. There's teams building perp systems for osmosis. But then by having it be governance gated, it kind of makes sure that we don't get like, I don't know, random games or NFTs on this thing, right? Because that's not our focus, right? We're trying to build the DeFi center. And so, yeah, so that's kind of why we have this whole permissioned uh, sort of governance gated contracting system. So, and, and what's cool is that means that the, the products that are built on top of Osmosis can be like really tightly integrated with each other. So this is like what we're doing with Mars. So Osmosis, so Mars is like the lending protocol, but there's a lot of like really tight integrations we're doing with Mars to make sure like these two products really feel like one piece of a unified whole. And that's what and we can do that by like having this like sort of, we, we would rather have like 20 great apps on Osmosis than... 2000 like mediocre ones and then what there's a lot and osmosis as a platform for building on became definitely a lot more popular in the last like few months osmosis was very close to the whole terra situation we were actually osmosis was the biggest dex for ust and so as those two kind of crash it kind of hit osmosis pretty hard but it was also interesting because like Terra was also using the same Cosmosm development framework. And so once it kind of crashed, then all the developers were left like, oh, what do we do now? And so Osmosis was like a very natural place for that, a lot of them to start moving to because it was now the biggest DeFi center in the Cosmos. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so a lot of those developers have started moving over to Osmosis and building stuff on, on, the, on the framework. Yeah, so from what you just said, we can clearly like feel that Osmosis really put like community of builders as priority as well, making sure they have part to like mm-hmm. grow the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, so has has this Cosmosm that you introduced changed the vision for Osmosis now that like these apps can be built on top? I yeah, I guess like what it changed was. There was a time where we thought that like, hey, our team is just going to build everything, right? We're going to build the purpose protocol. We're going to build the margining protocol. We're going to build the launch pad. And, and what we realized was like, hey, we're actually ending up spreading ourselves very thin because our team is also doing a lot of the maintenance, a lot of development on like the core Cosmos SDK as well. And just given that we are the biggest user, right? And so we kind of have to do a lot of that as well. So what we, what the, the shift has been so... We moved it, moved more towards, hey, our team can focus on the chain and the decks, like the, the trading engine. And then mm-hmm. all we can work more closely with a lot of these other teams to build a lot of these other net sort of integral products. So I guess that's been the main shift in our, how we've approached things over the last like. Mm. Nice. Months. Sounds great. 
Yeah. Okay, so now that you've gone through these stages of like planning, ideating, finding these product market fit and to like building this product, how do you like identify the next steps to take to improve and grow the protocol? Like what kind of KPIs do you use? Since like there's many times where like there's different areas you could work on, like how do you yep. manage and these conflicts and prioritize which area you should go for? Yeah, so Our north star at the end of the day is always our is like is the final metric. I think is volume on the decks, right? And like I think as a at the end of the day, what matters for any app chain or really any chain is like get, wh- where's the protocol revenue coming from, right? And so on as a I think that the problem with most L ones is they don't actually have any form of pro- like value capture, right? They Fees are never going to be actually worth it to uh, be a real sort of like transaction fees aren't the, the transaction fees are in this like weird situation where like if they're too low if they're if they're too low they're not meaningful value if they're too high your your chain is too expensive to use block space is a commodity right so block space is not is not a meaningful source of revenue so in a way like kind of our goal is like hey we're building all this stuff we're helping grow the cosmos ecosystem we're building a lot of Products on top of osmosis, we're doing all this stuff because at the end of the day, everything is driving more volume through the osmosis decks, and that's really where the protocol revenue comes from. Whether it's from transaction trading fees or from like MEV capture, so yeah, that's that's sort of like final metric. But obviously, there's other metrics that are all feed into that. So for us, we we pay a lot of attention to like, okay. Major, how many major assets are we the primary market for, right? So if you look at like Evmos, right? Evmos is a top hundred coin, and Osmosis is the primary market for Evmos. Evmos is not listed on any centralized exchange, and like, and same same for Osmo. Actually, Osmo is not listed on any centralized exchange. Top hundred coin, and so our goal is like, so if you look back at like how did Uniswap become very big, what was their like? What was the thing that like kicked off Uniswap was no centralized exchange was was listing MKR Maker and there was demand for MKR because it was like big deal product and so Uniswap was sort of the only place to buy MKR and that's why a lot of people went to Uniswap in the early days and so I think that's sort of similar for what we want to do is like how can we we're looking for like oh what are like these assets exciting assets that people want that Osmosis is the primary venue for so. And I think we're going to see a lot more. Like Axlar is launching their token next week, and that's going to be listed on Osmosis first. You have Agoric; their token is on Osmosis. So you have all these like, as the Cosmos ecosystem is growing, and like there's all these new exciting products that are launching. A lot of them are going to have Osmosis be their like initial place that they launch. Other metrics, obviously, the basic ones, things like daily active users. We 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 track IBC volume quite a bit. So like, how many assets are flowing in and out of Osmosis? And like, if you go to like, there's a great site called MapOfZones.com. So that kind of is an IBC explorer that lets you see like, hey, okay, this is all the volume between all the IBC chains and such. We, we we track like, oh, what percentage of IBC volume is coming to or from Osmosis? Cool. Right. Nice. So basically, I always like reflect to your north star and like work from there, like how to get there to that point. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, that's so I mentioned earlier that basically Osmosis community is very active, such that you guys have also introduced this grant program to fund community projects. So, can you tell us more about this Osmosis grant program? Like, how did you approach to this new idea generated? Yeah, so we needed a way of like helping new products, like especially like a lot of these Xterra products that like maybe had their entire treasury completely wiped out to help them like get off the ground and like be able to get to the point where they can launch something. And so our grants program is run by this team called Reverie. They are just amazing. They kind of coordinate a lot of the grants program, work with a lot of the teams, help them. Um, and yeah, so, and then often a lot of these projects, like Reverie had run like grants programs for like projects like Compound and stuff where, but these were more like DeFi protocols where like most of the grants were for things like, oh, a new dashboard or something like that, right? But like this is, Osmosis is kind of like weird because we're kind of like building an ecosystem at the same time as building a DEX. And so we have to do like all sorts of different kinds of grants. Like sometimes it's like, oh, you know, new dashboards or analytics tools, but then no, some it's like, oh, bootstrapping an entire new project and so you know how do how do it's all and sometimes what happens is like almost like the osmosis community grants program will like it's some almost somewhat investing in some of these projects where what it will do is like hey the osmosis community because they're acting on behalf of the osmosis community pool the osmosis DAO, and so they'll like give grants in osmo but then like hey what if this token launches if this project launches a token oh we want to make make sure that 5% of the token supply is like airdropped to Osmo holders, for example. And so there's kind of cool, like want to make sure like in aligning incentives and stuff there between Osmosis and the other projects, like building on top of it. Nice. So, so what's your benchmark for choosing youth projects to fund? Usually just capability. And oftentimes we look at like what people have already done in the past and like, are they just showing up with, this long proposal, but like no past work that they've ever done. We, we, we like to see a little bit of proof of work mm. on before. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the team behind it is key as well. Yeah. Well, not even, it's, not, it's not like, the, oh, the, oh, this has to be this like pop, you know, team that everyone in crypto knows. It's like, no, it's like, you know, show that like, hey, you're interested in building this thing. Like, have you actually started doing mm. anything on it? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So awesome. So now that we've been talking about building and developing products, so here's a big question for you. What do you think makes a great product? So our, our product design team, they, one of the catchphrases they always use is they want delightful user experiences. And like when you use something, it should feel like, I don't know, there's just like a feeling you get where it's like, oh, wow, that was, uh, that was cool. That was fun. And I think like optimizing for those like delightful user experiences. And that, often that comes, that comes from like small things, like just like subtle animations you use or how smooth the user, the, 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 the UI is and all these sorts of things. And I think having all of that is really important. Having the brand, like mm-hmm. the having, yeah, like, for, okay, like, like get, making sure the product has like personality, if that makes sense. Like, Wait, yeah. so one, one thing is like, look, every traditional company, like, like they all have mascots, right? Like Geico has the 
Lizard and McDonald's has Ronald McDonald and like everyone has mascots. But why in crypto does no one have mascots? Right. I think it's such an easy way to add like personality and life to a product. And that's kind of why we have our our mascot. Right. (laughs) We're like, hey, you know, how can we like give it a sense of whimsicalness and stuff? And so, yeah, so that's kind of, I think, also an important part of making it feel more delightful. Yeah, completely agree. Thank you for that. So last thing before we wrap it out today, is there any advice you'd like to share with founders who are basically working on developing their product and like basically are still in the process of validating their idea? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ship fast and iterate. I think like don't try to get the perfect product right away. Just get something out and get start getting getting users and then iterate from there. And like your roadmap will change like and and accept that like so so I, I know you mentioned earlier on this whole thing about customizable lp pools like none of that is actually customizable lp pools does not exist on chain right now and we've realized actually that hey that actually is not a great idea and we've actually shifted our roadmap away from that and so be open to pit, micro pivoting as needed mhm mhm thanks great advice Thank you again for joining us today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. So listeners, check out Osmosis on Twitter at Osmosis Zone, or you can also check out their website, osmosis.zone. And to learn more about Osmosis, and you can follow our guest today, Sunny, on Twitter as well at SunnyA97. So if you guys enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe to receive notifications of our new clips. And thanks everyone for listening and stay tuned for our next podcast episode. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.